Where did Lucifer come from? It's the question I'm going to try to answer kind of today as best I can. Uh, and then we're also going to really make sure we walk through that Ephesians section we just heard read, at least over the top of it, to understand that we are, in fact, in a world where there are demons and they hate you more than they hate others because you bear the name of Jesus Christ. And this isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. They have no power over you. That's why they hate you. But see, when they lie, you might still listen. That's their game. So we'll kind of talk about that as we recognize and celebrate St. Michael and all angels, an annual feast day in the church, not on this day, but we always move these days to Sundays if we can, and we get a chance to focus on a little section of the church's history. What did the Christians before us think was important? That's what hymns and liturgy have, that the new songs, which aren't all bad, don't have. They don't have history. They don't got age on their side. Uh, today, I'm going to try to give you some of the history of how we get this name Lucifer, as well as who the devil actually is, according to the Bible, by looking at the texts themselves. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, it's so much jumping around that it is going to be easier to use the bulletin than it is uh, to be able to use the Pew Bible, but we will use the Pew Bible too. Uh, the first text, though, is in the bulletin. So this is the gospel reading from a few moments ago from Luke chapter 10, where these 70, uh, are they apostles? Kind of. Are the disciples definitely, uh, do they do things just normal Christians do? Maybe kind of. We argue about who the 70 are, frankly. Um, but they certainly have the power to cast out demons. And they're very, very excited about the fact that they can cast out demons. They come back to Jesus after doing all sorts of stuff. I mean, they've been healing people and telling people their sins are forgiven and all this, making believers. And, and they say the demons are all over us. And do you see there where it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Jesus kind of, it's glorious in a sense, right? I cast down my enemy upon the mountainside. You know, the great Gandalf moment, right? Uh, it's glorious. And yet you really got to see it's almost dismissive. He's kind of like, I saw that. You fools. And yeah, I've given you, it says it very here, the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, the serpent and the scorpion, two of the most despised creatures in Hebrew uh, zoology. Uh, you can maybe understand why. Do you want a scorpion in your bed? Uh, uh, do you want a serpent in your kitchen? No. So they're, they're despised things, right? Uh, for good reason. And they're underfoot, notice. They're on the ground. You step on one and what happens? I saw a beautiful, uh, it wasn't a flower, it was kind of like a fern yesterday, and it was in a batch of flowers that we were being given access to, to take some home, and I reached for it, and I went, ow! I pulled back, and, and that thorn was this big, you know, not kidding, big thing, right? Stepping on that, right? Stepping on that, stepping on the, the rattlesnake, stepping on the scorpion, you have authority, he says to these men, I contest this, it does include you Christians, to walk heedless of the demons. You're just going to walk right over them. You're going to crush them. They'll be under your foot. Like they're coming to attack and they slip and fall and you actually stop on them. That's the authority God gives the Christian in the confidence of your faith, right? In the confidence of your faith that so nothing shall by any means hurt you. I'll tell you a little story about a game named Risk a long time ago. 
Played it with some friends. It's called Risk Legacy. You're supposed to play it over time. You build the board as you go. If you played Risk, it's like that, but more complex for us nerds, right? And uh, in the game, as you go, it opens new little packages of, of figurines. You get zombies and aliens eventually. It's pretty clever how they figured this thing out. And at the very bottom of the box, actually underneath, you have to be enough of a nerd to take the packaging apart. Then there is a little card that says, never open this. And of course, uh oh, that went down. Of course, we'll see if that stays. You're not supposed to open it until you beat everything else, right? And then you open it, right? But it says never open this. It does say never open this. And my son and I played, and after we'd, I played it with some other guys, we built the board. It wasn't really good to play with my son anymore. We decided to throw it away. We're done. If we're going to play more, we'll buy a new one. What do you do with this little card, though, right? I mean, are you, are you the man of honor? I will not open it or, or else, right? I will play the whole game or I uh, just have fun with your son, open it, and throw it away. Well, I decided to have fun with my son, open it, throw it away. I open it. I, I get to see it first. That's mine. I've waited a long time for this. I open it and it says, you are cursed. I, was, I can't remember. Was it Hasbro? It wasn't Hasbro. You know they make the Ouija board too, though, right? I'm like, put it right back. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, no, I'm not. Now, I can guess that that's just game rules for the board. Like each player has like drawbacks in the next game. So whoever won a bunch now doesn't get to quite so easily. Something like that. But you know what? It wasn't funny to me. And my faith said, I don't care. And that's how trampling on scorpions works. It's when you get afraid of that superstition or that myth or that lie. And you are confident in the word of God. Do you walk forward anyway? And you can know then the demons can't hurt you. They cannot hurt you. All they can do is lie. Whoever kills you, that's God. Not the demons. Now, the devil wants to murder by lies. He doesn't have the power of life and death. Jesus does. You may trample on them. Nothing shall hurt you, right? The demons shall not hurt you, but don't rejoice in this. Uh, let's maybe come back to that right at the end of this, of this thing. Let's move on. I'm going to reference 1 Timothy 3.6. You don't have to try to turn there. It's just one verse. If you can get there, there, go for it. It's on page 992. But if it's a hasty thing to get there, don't get there. Um, 1 Timothy 3.6 says, of pastors. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So from that verse, we can do a couple things. We can establish the New Testament's very clear. Jesus saw the devil fall like lightning and uh, there's a reason for his fall. Evil has a reason. It is just and that reason is why you don't make a new Christian a pastor is because knowledge puffs up. And when one is puffed up and proud, they are likely to what? Pride comes before the fall, right? So uh, pride is the sin of the devil. Pride is a form of unbelief. Pride is a form of arrogance. Pride is a form of thinking, actually, too. Right? Pride is knowing more than others. I know better, right? That, that's pride. And this is the condemnation of the devil. Hear this then not only as like why the devil is condemned, but how the devil is condemned. He's condemned in his pride. His pride will destroy him. 
Like God will destroy him by being like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, again, Tolkien second reference, but Gollum throws himself into the fire for the power. Right? Tolkien's just confessing his faith as a, as a dream, right? That's what that story is. Uh, so uh, pride is the issue to kind of keep in your mind here now as we go and look at this Ephesians text, which is there in the bulletin for you, spread out across a couple of chapters uh, so that we get the whole. And I'm going to go past the um, Paul talking about the unsearchable riches of the mystery and just say, again, the opposite of pride, you can call it meekness, it, it is to understand that you cannot understand everything. And so God will not be understood by you, but he will tell you things you can believe about him. And they may be trusted firmly. And that mystery that may be trusted, which is who God is, and you do know him as Jesus now, so he's very revealed, right? But he's still glorious and mysterious to us. He reserves the right to be the eternal God, right? The only one. Um, uh, that mystery is now poured out into, now this is what I want us to look at, verse 10, to the intent. What's he doing now? Right now, today. 2023, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're teaching the angels and the demons as we go. What about mercy? About the weakness of God being stronger than any power they can imagine or us too? God is using us right now to humble the creation, including us, as we are its head. Yeah. And now in Jesus, humbled and ascended, right, his head crowned with thorns, we are all glorious. And to believe that we are all glorious already, because he is, is again to see what kind of power you have in the name of Jesus as you walk. That whatever mistake you make, whatever thing you actually do that is wrong, when you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, the world gets better. And you got that power. Everyone else has to prove and justify everything they do. Listen to them when they talk. They're justifying themselves constantly. You probably do too, but you don't have to. You don't. You can just know that God's pouring out a mystery into your life and he's setting the path before you, and in the blood of Jesus, it is good and golden, even in the suffering. That's the promise, again, that we're revealing right now, even to the angels. who are like, what, suffering? Really? Is that good? You know? <laughs> and we're like, oh, well, you, you be careful what you pray for. Yeah, a little bit there. So 10, we're revealing it to the heavenly places, to the angels, his purpose. Verse 11, in Jesus. Verse 12, which gives us boldness and confidence. So that verse 8 in chapter 5, we were darkness, but we're not anymore. We're different than everybody else. We are indeed set apart because we are light. So yes, the Buddhist seeks enlightenment, but the Christian has light, a very light born again within. It isn't even a fight if you think about it, and you don't have to think about it. You can just believe it, and it's still true. It's amazing, our religion. It answers every question. It solves every riddle. It is truer than the wisdom of man by more than we can measure. 
with metrics and all this. We're now light. We've been turned into something we were not before. We are regenerate. And so he tells at the end, you'll be strong. Because verse 12, we wrestle against flesh and blood. No, 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 not Biden, not the World Economic Forum, or let's go the other way, not Trump, not anti-alt-writers or whatever, you know. Uh, sorry, I, I betrayed my side there, I suppose. Um, but we don't even wrestle against those guys. But against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly. Here, heavenly is just unseen, not far away, just unseen. Uh, spiritual hosts of wickedness in unseen places. Now, you know there's a lot of unseen places with wickedness going on in the world right now. Everyone's like, where is it? I know, who's doing it, right? That's the, always the question. Well, <laughs> who's doing it? Yeah, principalities and powers who have men on strings like puppets because the men are blind zombies walking around just hungry to feed their own flesh. You know, <laughs> did I say it last week? That one guy is in the U.S. government embezzled. It's like 500,000. My first thought was it ain't even that much, man. Like that's what, four years, five years with your family? It ain't even that much. It's so sad what these people are doing to destroy our country as they hunger for their own bellies. And you can, you can take that however you want it. The fact is, it's pride, again, that has run amok as a virtue in our civilization. And it's not a virtue, it's a terrible vice. It destroys stuff. Nah. So, okay, uh, I, that's, that's the battle we're in, is against your pride as you see them fight with their pride and talk with their pride and live with their pride and do everything in pride, your neighbors. And the things you're entertained by, it's all about pride, right? And you are to be humble. That's the fight. That's the battle that won't be over until the day of resurrection. And it's glorious. It's good. Paul calls it beautiful. And I'd suggest to you it's freeing. It's actually peaceful. The choir sang about calm in the storm. Indeed, there is a calm in the storm when even what they do to your body can't scare you. Well, that, that'll calm you quite a bit, you know. So with that, here's some, I think this is fun. If you're a theological nerd, you're going to think it's fun. Um, if you're a note taker, be ready. I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff you can go look up. Because this is, are you ready? You can make a movie. Dr. Peeper's Extremely Helpful Dogmatic Solution okay, is uh, my notes on Dr. Francis Peeper's section on angels in his three-volume dogmatics that we're all supposed to read at seminary. And it's pretty good, but nobody reads it. It's pretty good. It's really buried in some archaic things, but my notes on angels, man, you ready? I'm going to tell you everything the Bible says about angels in just a couple of notes. There's not that much. No. Uh, first off, uh, they are key, angels are key to understanding or believing in existence and creation because they're part of it. So if you want to find, he says, proof of our modern Christianity's apostasy, uh, all you have to do is our skepticism toward Angels. And you'll know we're not faithful because we think about them so little or question their power. And the same goes for the demons too. Um, and so uh, the modern world has replaced 
ego understanding what you see with, uh, they, they put that in the place of revelation in the Bible. And on this little issue, you can see it like, like tenfold. It's like, like rainbows and fire everywhere. How little we really pay attention to these things. Uh, and he said this, Peter's right in 19, like, like, oh, eight. Like it was good back then. Right. Like, aren't we trying to go back there or something? Maybe, maybe not. Um, he says, angels have no necessary connection with saving truth as you don't have to believe in angels to be saved. And so they're not really about dogmatics. They're not about Jesus, uh, uh, but they are again about believing creation exists. So their first article, not second article things, if you're into the Lutheran way of talking. Okay. Um, but now this is pretty important. The entire theory of the devil being a fallen angel, he says is nothing but a hypothesis. Now, I think he's kind of modern when he says that, but he's also right that we cannot prove that Satan, get away from me, that he's talking to an angel who fell. He's just talking to the accuser, right? And then when he puts the demons into the pigs, uh, it doesn't say the fallen angels there. It says something like unclean spirits, right? And so you can't, if you, his whole point is, if you argue about what you believe about angels, you will argue about everything in your life. So instead, what we want with what comes next is to take these ideas as touchstone key points that give us a framework to live under rather than some way to like understand it. Because angels are not about you understanding them. That's not their job. So, um, uh, but one not believe, need believe in angels to be a Christian. Once you're a Christian, you can't read the Bible and not discover that there are angels. And that's why they become very important for us to believe in. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, angels are born uh, in the first six days of creation then. You can argue about which day they were born on, and people do, but they are not before uh, Jesus or before even heaven. Uh, they're born inside the, the six-day creation. Um, and the matter, Peeper says, is, is speculation. I think they were born with at least let there be light. You know, one of them, the light bringer, Lucifer, were coming to him. Uh, probably was around with let there be light is my guess. Um, uh, the term uh, malach and angelos, both of those terms uh, in Hebrew and Greek are just the word messenger, and they get applied to those who are not what we call angels. So you have to understand that every angel in the Bible isn't an angel the way we use the word, uh, because Jesus in the Old Testament is the angel of the Lord like all the time. But it doesn't mean he's a created being in the first six days of creation and all that other stuff I was just talking about. And the truth is, it's said also of uh, other messengers who are sent by God, um, so here's the Bible verses you can go look up for some fun. Uh, you can see in Malachi 2 verse 7 uh, that there's a man, a priest, who's called the angel of Yahweh Sabaoth. There's a man who's an angel, Malachi 2 7. Uh, Malachi 3 1, um, I will send my uh, Malach, usually translated messenger, before you. That's John the Baptist being prophesied, right? So that's a man who Malachi 3 1 calls an angel. So not every use of the term angel can just go to angelology, um, but we do, as American English speakers, call all non-human messengers from God, ministering spirits, we call them angels. The Bible calls them ministering spirits. It calls them flames of fire, Hebrews 1, 7, Psalms 104, 4 and 5. Um, uh, they are charged, what do they do? They are charged with service to us, 
That's Hebrews 1, 5 and Hebrews 1, 14. The angels, their job is to take care of you. Uh, their bodies are, are not uh, material. They're not like wood in our experience of them, uh, but they are neither in all places at all times. So they're localized. They can only be in places, even though they don't have bodies the way that we do. Um, and you see this again in Ephesians 6, 12 that we just looked at. Um, and I believe, uh, you know, Genesis 18, 8, 19, 3, Luke 24, um, the, verse 39, all of that is ways in which the angels themselves become visible at times. So like, you know, Gabriel isn't normally some guy in a white robe, you know, but, but at least as some guy, he shows up to talk to people, right? So they can become physical for sure, um, but they don't normally. They don't. It's kind of not their way. And, and if you look at the New Testament carefully, you really only see it with very specific things that are about Jesus and his resurrection or, or Peter, which is interesting. Um, so, but they are finite, right? Uh, they have a, an intellect and a willpower. Uh, and he points us to Ephesians 3.10, Matthew 4.5, uh, Matthew 28.2, for those taking notes again. Um, but they're, they're not omnipresent. They're not everywhere at once. Their power is far greater than ours. They're incredibly strong. Psalm 103, 20, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. He's got a bunch more on how powerful they are. They are competent to perform miracles if given authority by God. Psalm 72, 18, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. Um, despite their being local but not seen, again, they can only be in one place at one time. Uh, Acts 12, 7. And 2010 might help with that if you want further study. Uh, they have ranks and orders, uh, a thousand times a thousand and ten thousand times ten thousand. Uh, Daniel 7:10, Hebrews 12:22, Colossians 1:16. Um, in these orders, there are classes such as cherubim, seraphim, archangel, greater, lesser angel. He lists a ton, Genesis 3, 24, Psalm 81, uh, Matthew 25, 41. Uh, the big thing to know is none of that. The big thing to know is that there is a difference between, now forget angels, but just think ministering spirits here, spirits given by God at beginning of creation to work with creation. The big difference is between the good and the evil ones. There are good ones now and there are evil ones now. And so as Jesus says again, and we're not talking about whether the devil was the angel in all the ways modernists think, but clearly the text says from Jesus, John 8, 44, the devil abode not and was a murderer of his own from the beginning. Right. Um, and then again, envy is his condemnation. And this is after God had declared it all very good in Genesis 1, 31, right? So somewhere between... Day six, God resting, it is very good. Satan, Lucifer, the devil, he abode not. Uh, the redemption of the devil as a story, as an aside, is the kind of lie he likes to tell. Matthew 8, 29 should deal with that one pretty well, but also um, Hebrews 2, 16, probably. Uh, and uh, the devil in your society, in your culture, is going to be against prudence by obscurity into malice. That's the way his, his tactics will always do that. Uh, Genesis 3.1, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Uh, the devil is the prince of the fallen age, the prince of the power of the air, he's called in Ephesians 2. 
Uh, he hates human bodies. That's Luke 13, 11. He hates all created things, Job 1, 12. Um, he hates you, 1 Peter 5, 8. He hates all good things and orders, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Um, and he is reserved for everlasting fire. Uh, that is Matthew 25, 41 and 46. So let's go look at him. With five minutes left, Isaiah 14. It's going to be on page 578 of your pew Bible. If Dr. Pieper's extremely helpful dogmatic solution was not to your flavor, I promise not to do it to you all the time. But if you did take those notes and you go study those texts, you're going to find everything you can find about angels in the Bible. You're going to find a whole lot of it. It's going to kind of open up your Bible study a little bit. So you know, if all you do is portals of prayer and you get a list of Bible verses, you just go beside it and go, look, you're going to grow. It's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. All right. So um, Isaiah 14, uh, we're going to start with verse 12 because I'm answering the question, who is Lucifer? And there's a lot more. So the second sermon is going to bring more. Maybe listen later at spa15.org. But here we got, you know, where does it come from? Verse 12, how are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? Ha, ha, ha. There's irony in that phone falling at that moment, I think. Maybe you disagree. Uh, <laughs> Daystar. Well, where's the name Lucifer? You heard it read in the King James a while ago. It's now translated as, uh, I believe, Daystar, son of the dawn. And this is because of the 1800s, 1900s, 20th century cynics who say that to say this is about the devil is a precarious conjecture. Uh, it cannot apply to Satan. Uh, we feel safest with skepticism is the answers I got from one of my favorite resources on Hebrew. <laughs> uh, and I'm looking at the Hebrew of this thing, um, and it is uh, the word uh, light bringer, but it's, it's more than that, really. Oh, where we go. Come to me. The right card. <clears throat> Twelve. Right there. Morning star. It's... Hallel, as in hallelujah. That's what they call him. And it means to shine. Right? So when you praise God, it, you shine, and this is the shining one. And to be very obvious and frank, if you go back in the text, you'll find out that the shining one's the king of Babylon. Probably not Nebuchadnezzar, probably his great-grandson or so, who's so arrogant after destroying Jerusalem that Persia destroys him. And God is foretelling it through Isaiah in a letter to Babel, to Babel, Hababel, uh, uh, before it happens, long before it happens, because he can see it coming. Because it's the way history always works. We could talk about how Isaiah sees things, whether he sees future prophecies, all this. But he sends this letter to, to the prince to the king of Babylon, and he calls him the shining one, the light bringer, and then the morning star, uh, which is going to be, uh, uh, you know, the star that is still there when the sun is rising, like it's trying to fight the sun in the morning for dawn, right? So this is not a good name. And everything that you heard read about this man, I'm just going to read it again here, because you make your own decision. It's definitely about the king of Babel. I believe when the Bible's about one thing, it's about much deeper things. And what this is, is a glorious foretelling of, of what the devil does have coming to him. And again, as our time will run out, as I read the text, uh, and you've got to take something with you today into the good fight of the faith, the angels are on your side, 
just hear this. This is what the greatest enemy that you ever have is going to have happen to him, and you're going to be there to see its final conclusion. What else is there to fear after that? Yeah. All right, so to do this, uh, let's start at verse 12 again. I'm going to read from there, and I'm going to jump a couple of times as we go, and so that I can do it with the best delivery that I can bear, I'm going to use the King James. Uh, go ahead and use whatever text is in front of you. It'll do its work as we study the scripture together by oratio. That's just the idea that you, you have a lot of it out loud and you just let it be there. So here, here we go. Verse 12, Isaiah 14, the fall of Lucifer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the one who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of its prisoners? And now go back to verse 9. Verse 9. I'm curious. Sheol, it says in the ESV. Hell, it says in the New King James. Hell from beneath is excited to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. I am going to mention, have you ever heard it said, better to reign in hell than rule in heaven? As John Milton's Paradise Lost, you might have heard it said, all the good rock stars are in hell. That's where I want to go. I heard that in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, hell rises up to meet the devil as he falls because it's just going to get worse. He doesn't rule. He's stripped of all power, and even the weakest will just scoff at him and sinicize him the entire eternity. All It is right there, verse 9. All the chief ones of the earth, it is raised up from their thrones. All the kings of the nations, they shall all speak to you and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. And the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you. The worms cover you. St. Paul Lutheran Church, you shall tread, trample, crush serpents and scorpions this week. Pay attention. You'll enjoy it more. In the name of Jesus. Amen.